Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Log Talk Radio. Good afternoon. Uh, or if you hear this at another time other than the afternoon, good, uh, good whatever that time is. Uh, this is Dr. Simon. And I do my show called The Stories We Live By. And this is part four of the cancerous ideas or stories that we so often live by. Not always, and not all times, and not everybody, but enough <clears throat> that our, uh, our world is a mess, and that we are um, in the light of all of the media that focuses us on ourselves, something rather new, uh, that we have an understanding of history and what goes on in the rest of the world in very uh, graphic and immediate uh, ways that didn't exist before of how I believe many of us, many, many people are sort of losing faith with our ability uh, to live up to ideals of peace and love uh, and that uh, our capacity to destroy um, is, is uh, unending. Um, and I have uh, explored these stories in three episodes. Um, what I want to do is add another element to it. And at first, I thought of adding this element when I saw a very fine movie uh, called Hannah Arendt, A-R-E-N-D-T. Uh, Arendt was a philosopher, German-born philosopher. Uh, I believe she was a professor at Columbia and uh, worked as a reporter uh, for the New Yorker uh, and wrote um, stories for them and asked to be sent to the trial of Adolf Eichmann in Jerusalem in the early 1960s. Um, Eichmann was one of the higher-ups in the uh, chain of command in in Hitler's uh, monstrosity, um, and was uh, escaped, like many, to Argentina, where they were given refuge uh, when the war came to a close. Uh, he ordered the death of literally millions of people. He sort of uh, uh, ran. He was like an, a, a, uh, an accountant, uh, uh, and he ran uh, the train schedules. He ordered the trains to go to Auschwitz where at least two million Jews died, but many more millions uh, who were uh, of other faiths and other persuasions and other types. And the Israelis' uh, secret police grabbed him one night in Argentina and uh, spirited him out of Argentina to Israel, where he was put on trial uh, in front of the entire world. And Arendt, Uh, who had already written extensively about life in the totalitarian states and how it affects people, went and observed the trial. Uh, I really recommend the movie. It's a 
very powerful movie, very well acted, very well directed um, about her personally and her life. But she was a rather brilliant woman and extremely uh, courageous. Uh, she spoke her mind, even if it got into her, you know, it got her into trouble with other academics. Um, and she was really stunned by what she saw at the trial. It's clear that Eichmann was a monster. That is, a monster, as I defined in many of my earlier shows, an individual who really has no feeling for those that he causes damage. What, what really interested Arendt was, as she put it, he's a nobody. He was a link in a very long chain. And all throughout his trial, he couldn't understand at all that he had done anything wrong. Because, as he put it, his highest ideal was to do his duty. The fact that the duty involved killing people didn't touch him. It's not that he sat foaming at the mouth and said, good, 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 uh, I'm killing Jews, I'm killing inferior people. He, it was something, as she put it, he didn't think about. It was his day-to-day -day activity. And it couldn't occur to him to do anything different, to refuse to follow the orders. Um, and so the killing of millions of people was banal. It was ordinary. It was in a day's work. Uh, as he tried to convince the, the uh, jury and the people of Israel uh, who, who slobbered for his death, uh, who put up witness after witness of the horror that they had uh, experienced in the camps, um, as he put it, he had nothing against these people. It was business. He was doing a job to live up to the ideal that he held that you're loyal to your country and you're loyal to those who lead and you have this job to do. And she was convinced that he didn't think about the human beings as human that he was killing. There was no enjoyment uh, in, in what he was doing. It was just he didn't think about it. It was just ordinary activity. The second piece of this story, uh, and the piece that really led me to set, talk about Hannah Arendt, was an article in the New York Times uh, last Sunday, March 1st, on the front page of the Week in Review, uh, entitled, How We Learn to Kill, by Timothy Kudo, who was a Marine captain and a graduate student at New York University, who was deployed to Iraq in 2009 and to Afghanistan between 2010 and 2011. And he writes in How We Learned to Kill, In the madness of war, I saw that taking a life could be banal, banal, ordinary. And he describes how he ordered the killing of two men from a distance in semi-darkness that appeared to be planting a bomb, but it really wasn't clear that they were planting a bomb. And he had to give the order to the snipers who, under his command, would shoot down these two men. And he decided that they were planting a bomb, but 
that he was killing these individuals not because they were directly trying to kill him, because he said you can justify that morally. Um, as he put it, it wasn't against the law that I ordered them shot, but it was against his moral code, and yet he did it. He was following orders, and he writes, doing this becomes just another ordinary act in the chain of command. Um, and then he apparently was writing something uh, for school that I really wish I could find the, uh, the whole article he was going to write. He writes, the primary factors that affect an individual's ability to kill are the demands of authority, group absolution, the predisposition of the killer, the distance from the victim, and the target attractiveness of the victim. And I've been discussing this business of uh, listening to authority. Authority sets up the goals for the rest of us to follow. And we follow them. Our ability, our need to bind ourselves to the leader of our tribe is unconscious. We don't think about it. We see it as almost automatically right. Unless there are individuals, and there are always individuals, who somehow have developed an individual conscience and do not use the group conscience. When he describes kudo, group absolution, this is what he is talking about, or I believe he is talking about. That when we see ourselves not as an individual, and don't think as an individual, because Arendt keeps saying, I didn't think. Um, he did think. I mean, he had to think about the t train schedules. He had to think about how to get these trains to Auschwitz on time. He had to think that way. But he was part of a larger mechanism. He was part of a tribe. Uh, tribes that are organized around religion. In this case, uh, Nazis were organized around nationalism, uh, the greatness of Germany, the creation of a Reich uh, or an empire that would last, in Hitler's words, a thousand years. And so the doing of these things is not thought about as an individual to an individual. It is not something that you think about or feel any remorse or guilt or shame about doing because it becomes part of the daily mechanism of life because that's how the story we live by operates. The cancerous ideas themselves, that is, that, that kill, come from the leaders. The followers, and this makes us as guilty as the leaders in many ways, simply do not stand up clearly if we do stand up to leadership, there could be a price to be paid. Um, but if we all stood up as individuals and said, no, 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 I go along with the building of a bridge, I go along with the direction to build schools and hospitals, but I don't go along with the idea that other human beings our, are non-human, are things uh, that are dangerous to us and therefore we have a moral 
and legal right to obliterate them. Um, during the Vietnamese War, I've spoken about this before, uh, there were protesters. Uh, chief among the protesters were uh, the Berrigan brothers. There were two priests who spoke loudly and often against the morality, or as they saw it, the immorality of the war. And they were called crazy, and they were vilified. Uh, most people did not hear what they said. Most people were upset that anybody would dare question what the tribe under its then leaders had determined as the proper course of action that we all must follow and accept without thought, accept without following through from the beginning to the end as to what the consequences of our actions meant, not merely as a group, acting on a group, but as an individual acting on other individuals by our consent with the story that we are living by. I don't know what else to say about this. Um, I don't see this ever ending. Uh, it's not that we can live without our tribes. Uh, but it's, as I've talked about many times in, 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 in these part four and other stories, is that when we are raised without a capacity to see ourselves as a creative individual in our own right, and ultimately participating in a democracy in which we choose consciously to act and aid and abet the actions of our tribe, rather than speak out or stand against them, that is the problem. And it's not that it can't happen, but it's just very difficult for it to happen. The pressure to hide in the safety of the group, to claim I am not responsible, I was only following orders, is very, very powerful. Uh, during the uh, Vietnam War, there was a sign that was uh, up often in protests. Uh, it was written on one of the walls of the college that I was teaching at at the time. Um, suppose they called the war and nobody came. Um, but it's not, not a problem for people to come. There is a, a desire to be patriotic, a powerful desire to uh, support the religious values of a particular tribe, the civil values of a particular grouping, whether it's nationalistic or religious. And we do this all too often without thinking. Without thinking. Um, I don't know how to make this happen any more uh, than doing my broadcast and speaking up um, I tried to get my students, uh, my patients, to be individuals, to be loyal to the college, but simultaneously loyal to themselves, their own thoughts, and their own consciences. Not ever to be so immersed in individuality, uh, in, in, in groupthink, that there is no capacity to say, hey, wait a second, 
Am I doing the right thing by carrying out on a day-to-day basis an ordinary act that is in fact not ordinary at all if I thought it through because somebody is going to be seriously hurt or killed or maimed or damaged in some very, very significant way uh, because I participate in this particular process. Uh, I see it now with this uh, group hatred of Muslims um, in the inability for people to look historically and see that uh, what the uh, Muslim terrorists are doing uh, is just part of the same kind of story that we saw the German Nazis do. Uh, interesting, somebody sent around a, uh email in which there was some kind of a hearing about uh, terrorism and uh, a woman, obviously Muslim, the way she was dressed, said, why don't you ever talk about uh, good Muslims, peaceful Muslims? And one of the women on the panel uh, quite brilliantly upbraided her and said, because the uh, good Muslims, the peaceful Muslims, are not the issue. They're irrelevant. It's the terrorists and the fact that nobody stops them. That's the issue. And then went into a discussion of the Nazis and the Japanese uh, and the Chinese and the Russians uh, and could have, if she wanted to uh, hold her breath, uh, talk about America's involvement in Vietnam, uh, a war based on a lie, or Iraq, a war based on a lie that totally destabilized the Middle East and has led to endless war uh, uh, without any sight, you know, any end in sight. Because those of us did not speak up loudly enough, or there weren't enough of us, um, and we went along. And in the day-to-day activities, uh, ignoring our conscience and ignoring the fact uh, that people are being killed and dying uh, with terrible consequences, ultimately for us as well as for them, when we uh, follow cancerous stories, because cancer kills. It kills the host, it damages the family, uh, it's, it's just simply... Um, something uh, that is malignant and, and uh, unless it's cured, unless the immune system of the body politic of a country uh, resists and individuals speak up and becomes uh, enough of a voice to put a, a break on those who would have us act out their dreams of glory and terror Um, It just goes on and on and on. So, I think I've done 20 minutes of this. I doubt seriously there's anybody listening. Um, uh, When I complain not enough people hear my shows, uh, I'm told, well, you really have to make them jazzy. You have to pay the premium price and do it in the evening. You have to do more of them. And all of this, I believe, is true, but this is what I have my energy for, and this is what uh, I enjoy doing. It's my therapy. Um, And uh, again, I recommend the film, uh, Hannah Arendt, and, uh, and the trouble she got into with the Jewish community, 
for saying things that uh, in the group think of Judaism or the political aspects of Judaism uh, were unpopular. Um, so I think that uh, it's time for, oh, actually, it's not cocktail time tonight. I'm going to play cards. And I can't drink and play cards at the same time. If I'm going to play, um, if I'm going to play bridge, which requires some thought, I have to be able to think as an individual and follow the cards. So I think that's it for the night. Uh, we'll see what this goes, and uh, take care. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.